Welcome back to What's the Worry podcast, episode 21 in total since we began in March. Now, we've covered a few different topics over the last few weeks, ranging from finding your inner winner to connecting to your spiritual self and finding that golden idea in your mind. Now, uh, the clue is in the title, really, What's the Worry? Um, over beyond the, the coronavirus, mental health is still a massive problem, and it's too right that we should be talking about it. Um, anyone that missed the What's the Worry e-magazine can find a lot of articles containing mental health um, help and uh, discussing some of the problems and you can find the e-magazine on our social media sites. But in today's episode we are going to delve a bit deep into a specific mental health problem and we're very fortunate to be joined by someone that has, has gone to a dark place with her eating disorders and we're joined now by Sam McCroy in Leeds. Hi, Sam. How are you doing? Hi, yeah, I'm good, thanks. How are you? Very well on this uh, on this Sunday. I mean, uh, I'm I'm based in Italy here, and I don't know if you've heard on the news that from tomorrow a lot of the uh, the bars and restaurants are going to be reopening. Obviously, Italy, of course, was um, one of the first to close down, if you like, and, and now one of the first yeah. to reopen again. Uh, but you're based in Leeds. What's the sort of uh, current situation there? We're still in lockdown, but um, we got told the other day we're allowed to go and exercise a bit more. So that's good to hear. We, um, but nothing's open yet, just supermarkets and pharmacies. Yeah, the, so, the essential. Yeah, still in lockdown. Yeah, just the essentials. <laughs> and uh, obviously it's been um, a new period for everyone, a different experience. How have you dealt with the situation of the last few weeks? Uh, I've struggled, mm. like a lot of people, I think. I'm quite a social butterfly, so I like to um, spend time with friends and I like doing things and to have all that kind of taken away from you is quite difficult. But you find new coping mechanisms and you find ways to deal with what's going on. And I mean, FaceTime's great. Yeah. So you can have like FaceTime dates with your friends and family and yeah quizzes and stuff quizzes. like that so it's, it's okay yeah I was gonna say the, the quizzes I mean I used to like the odd sort of pub quiz sort of thing but uh of, of late there's been so many different quizzes with different friendship groups I, I'm, I'm pretty much sick of quizzes to be honest with you now <laughs> yeah. um but, uh, but there you go they're, they're, they're good to sort of bring people together though aren't they and it's probably yeah uh, one of the best ways to do that um so have you been doing sort of anything uh any sort of side project or are you studying during this period um i'm studying mental health nursing so i've just been getting on with that um trying to finish my degree mm. um and just getting on with the uni work and the online lectures um but giving myself a break as well because it's no i'm not good to anyone if i'm overworked so oh definitely yeah uh, yeah and, and i suppose with home working or home studying uh, people have maybe found um, that you can be a lot more efficient. So obviously focusing for a few hours on the work, but then sort of drifting off and doing some more more fun stuff or um, other stuff where we, we obviously used to be in working in offices and stuff or um, obviously attending university. And we've probably made our lives more efficient, would you think? Yeah, I agree. Yeah, it's good to spend a bit of time I find spend a bit of time um doing a bit of work and then having a break for however long I feel um and then going back to it yeah. or just ha- a few hours a day it 
I've noticed that I get more work done. Yeah, could be well than trying to sit there all day. Yeah, definitely. And um, so one of the focuses of of the podcast, what's the worry, is to sort of. Uh, raise awareness for different mental health um, arenas, sort of, sort of areas. Now, uh, you've got a, a passion for eating disorders, and um, certainly done things to raise awareness for mental health. So, where where does that all stem from, Sam? Um, so, I got diagnosed with an anorexia in 2012. Mm. Um. I mean, I come from a caring, loving family, um, and I, I just, I could every time I looked in the mirror, I just thought I was fat, and um, even though I was awfully skinny, I compared myself to everyone around me, I wished I was like them, I hated myself, my body, and the way I looked, I just struggled with me being me. Mm. Um, I Anorexia didn't spring itself in a few months, it, it happened over um two years slowly I just started off exercising um but then I couldn't stop and I had to exercise and if I didn't it would be the end of the world and then um the food park came in and I stopped having breakfast and then throwing away my lunch and then not having tea and no snacks and then um and then in summer 2012 it just got so much worse um right okay um yeah. Yeah. So a few things there. We'll, we'll go into sort of how it how it sort of develops after that. So, but let's just bring yeah. it back. And firstly, um, thank you for obviously Sam when you got in touch with me, you wanted to share your story to help other people and um, that might be going through this. So I know it could be a bit um, difficult to talk about it, but um, so we thank you for that. Um, so so taking it back. Um, so initially you had feelings of um, feeling overweight or looking fat. Now was this sort of comparing yourself to to friends to to school colleagues or was it sort of what was the impact of maybe social media as well oh wow social media had such a big impact Mm. looking in magazines and just seeing what the stereotypical perfect body is that affected me so much and um I hated that I wasn't like them but I've had to learn that actually our body everyone's bodies are different Mm. And it's better to nurture your body than to starve it. Yeah. So. And was this sort of looking at pictures of uh, of friends, of people you knew, or was it sort of um, celebrities, or or a mix of a mix of that? It, it's a mix of both. Like, yeah. I had a lot of smaller friends who I'm quite tall, and my friends were quite small, and I like I hated the difference at the time. And then also looking at magazines and seeing celebrities online. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay. And, and you mentioned that um, one thing you turn to, um, which I suppose a lot of people who do feel that they are um, fat or overweight, they, they turn to exercise. So this is what you did. Now, um, were you, before this, were you into exercise? Were you quite healthy in that respect? Um, I've never been into exercise. Um, I'm not, I like walking and that's about it. Mm. So, to do it was quite a, a real turn for me to like suddenly have to exercise every day right and it had to be structured and I had to do it and if I didn't it was the end of the world yeah and what sort of exercise was it was it sort of focusing on sort of high intensity to try and get the weight down um we had a step machine and I'd just run on it every day for half an hour mm. but um, I actually I think I actually broke three of them 
because okay. I spent so much time on them. <laughs> yeah. All right. Okay. And um, and I suppose uh, so. Obviously, exercise is a good thing. Um, yeah. what, what potentially was was the the thing that caused the the bad things was that with your food. So you started to not eat as well. And of course, if you're exercising a lot and not eating, then you will start to lose lose weight quickly. So um, you mentioned that you were uh, skipping meals. So you first started by skipping breakfast, and then this slowly uh, culminated into skipping other meals of the day as well. Yeah. Okay, and. Um, and what sort of made you decide that? Can you sort of put yourself back into that position where you first were starting to, okay, I'm going to skip breakfast, and then that developed into lunch? What was sort of going through your mind? I hated myself. I, I was overpowered by this illness that took over my life, and it just, I couldn't get rid of it. I couldn't like, I couldn't have some time away from it. It, it was, it, it's like a voice basically um i'd like to give a description of what i think anorexia is mm. so it's like it, it's an eating disorder that overpowers your mind strength body and soul and it's like a friend who starts off nice and then turns around and stabs you in the back um and it also plays mind tricks on you um telling you're worthless and fat um and i think when you've got all that going on in your head and you, there's no escape it it's just i think it's one of the worst feelings and yeah, when I had this voice in my head telling me that I couldn't, I shouldn't eat. If I ate like even a sandwich, I'd put on weight. Mm. Like really horrible thoughts that could destroy anybody. So yeah, yeah, interesting that yeah, you sort of um, how you describe it. So mind, body, strength, and soul. I suppose um, body. Yes, you can sort of see um, how it affects that because you you see yourself losing weight. And of course, your mind, maybe you're sort of thinking about all these negative things that, that you see yourself in the mirror and you look fat. But interest, more, most interesting, that sort of strength and soul. So was it sort of sapping away um, your energy and your motivation to do other things? Yeah, so I was like a shell of myself. I used to sing around the house and I just stopped. I, like everything that was made just disappeared and I... I remember my parents, like, I found them crying because they were like, you're going to die if you don't eat. You're not you. Like, everyone could see that I wasn't me. And I think that's what I kind of mean. It takes away who you are. Mm. And it's like just the eating disorder. Right. And do you think it was, well, obviously you, you said it was impacting other parts of your life, but was it to such an extent that you was literally thinking about it sort of 24-7? Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. It took over my whole life. Like, yeah. I couldn't do anything else because it was always there. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, I mean, did you feel hungry? You must have felt hungry as well. So what was your sort of reaction to that when you were, your sort of stomach's telling you, okay, I need, I need food or it's really, really sort of starting to hurt? What, what was going through your mind at that point? The eating disorder would play on that. So every time my stomach would grumble or um, I would get really hungry, that feeling of sick when you're hungry, mm. it would be like an achievement for the eating disorder. It would be like, yes, that's the feeling you're meant to have. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I kind of got used to it. Yeah. And it, it didn't hurt anymore because I was so used to the pain. Okay. 
That's interesting. And um, you mentioned there, and naturally it's going to have an effect on the people around you, your nearest and dearest. So so your parents started to to notice that you had lost significant weight um, and and telling you that you're risking your, your life and your health. So what was your sort of response to that when your closest, nearest and dearest are, are literally telling you you're going to die? What was what was your sort of immediate response in your mind? I ignored them and I just I kept the eating disorder just took over me and I just kept like on this road of like death and destruction. Yeah. Um I mean I found my, both my parents crying at different times um because of what what was happening at the time and I to be honest I didn't care. Yeah. I had like I had this it was like I couldn't let go of it and I had to I had to do it. It it just shows you how much it can take you take over your life, really. Yeah, and I suppose we'll, we'll probably come on to this towards the end. But the the stigma behind mental health, like it is a isn't it an actual disorder, and it is sort of a a condition. And the more that we're aware of these uh, conditions, maybe the better place we are as as friends, as as relatives to people that might be going going through this. Um, so before I uh, sort of interjected there to break down the initial part of your experience, you mentioned um, that it got a whole lot worse one summer. What what happened after that? So um, after my last exam, because I, w- I was in year 11, I went to spend a week in Bristol with family and I was given portion sizes smaller than my eight-year-old sister's. Mm. And I couldn't manage them, couldn't eat them. Wow. And you're and I remember, 16 at this point, are you? Uh, yeah, yeah, I was yeah. 16, okay. yeah. Um, and I remember my nana saying to me, in this house we have three meals a day, and I expect you to as well. Mm. And I think this is, when I look back, I think this is when the real damage started. Um, like, everything changed that week. So when I came back, I'd lost weight, and my mind was thinking differently. Um, and it's quite disgusting when I look back at the things I did to prevent myself from eating but I, I won't gross you out with all that right um like I started to eat my bedroom throwing away all the food I made for myself I weighed myself every day and was over the moon when I lost right. um I started to have an obsession with cooking which is a massive symptom right. so you cook for other people okay um yeah oh that's very interesting so that's quite a well-known um, symptom is that you, you start to develop a love for cooking but obviously you're not eating it you're, you're cooking for other people yeah yeah and why do you think that that is what was sort of your experience in your mind how that sort of benefited you in that headspace I think it, it was I was able to trick my mind into thinking I was eating it just smelling it and being around the food um I think yeah it tricks your mind well yeah yeah and it kind of makes you feel, I guess in a way it's comforting because you're around food and you want, obviously your body's craving it. So smelling it and being around it kind of in, in a way makes you feel like you, you're having it when you're really not at all. Yeah, it's yeah. really interesting. And um, did it impact your intake of, of water as well? Because we, obviously the body, um, if you drink a lot of water, which is obviously... <laughs> healthy and, and you need water yeah. but you can sort of um the body's response so so i understand i'm certainly not an expert um but if you do starve yourself but then fill up on water you can still look quite bloated D- 
did it have an impact on the amount of water you was drinking as well? Um, so throughout that summer, I just um, went through long periods of just drinking coffee or tea. Um, but for some reason, I couldn't. It, the eating disorder told me that I couldn't drink water because it would make me put weight on. Yeah. Um, which is obviously not true at all, mm. but that's what it was telling me. And yeah, I, I stopped, I was very dehydrated. I stopped drinking. I mean, I went through, I think, two, three months of nothing going in my, inside me. Oh, wow. So, yeah, yeah, no, no drink or anything. So, yeah, well, it so, did have a massive impact. Yeah. And so one or two months, that's, that's, that's crazy. So um, it yeah. got very serious then. What was the sort of like, um, uh, I certainly don't want you to touch on any emotional thing, but well, how serious did it get? Um, well, I, I nearly died. Mm. Um, the psychiatrist said in um, October that I'd be dead by Christmas 2012 if I didn't start eating. Mm. Um, and that didn't even make me eat. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I, yeah, it was, well, it, yeah, it nearly killed me. Yeah. Okay. So, um, let's go back to you're in the the was it with a psychiatrist or a doctor that that told you that yeah yeah so what what was your immediate response sort of in your head when you heard those words because that um obviously horrible words to hear what what was going through your head I didn't care hmm. I didn't I didn't I, I wasn't me anymore it's like the Sam had just completely disappeared and this it was like I was a completely different person and I just didn't care I didn't I didn't I probably I didn't probably listen properly like I it took over your life so much that when, when people tried to talk to you it just didn't nothing was working you, you couldn't hear what they were saying really so yeah I didn't care obviously that affected my parents but to me I was like no that's not gonna happen but I don't think I could see the extent of how ill I was mm. Yeah. Yeah. And um, you mentioned your parents. What did you have a sort of a circle of friends as well, or did the um, the condition affect your social environment as well and your relationships with your friends? So in uh, October 2012, I was put on complete bed rest. Well, I was actually given. Um, uh, a place on a ward at um, one of the eating disorder hospitals, but mum and dad begged the psychiatrist to keep me at home. Yeah. So, um, so my mum became like my my carer twenty four seven, um, and yeah. So my I had friends that came every Saturday, um, and they mum would make them food, and they'd just come and would just like talk and sit and like it was really nice. Yeah. Like it was the thing I looked forward to every week, really. Yeah. Okay. And um, so, fortunately, you you were able to recover. What was the recovery process like? Horrible. <laughs> it was. Um, I think it was probably one of the hardest things I've ever been mm. through. I think recovery is maybe even harder for me personally than the actual becoming ill. Right because I had to choose to get better it's it's not like a broken leg where it's just fixed like by a doctor and nurses it's you have to make the decision to get better because it's in your head it's not 
no one else can make that decision for you. You can be force fed, you can be on a tube, but at the end of the day, you can't, you can still relapse. And I think that's, I think choosing from the, um, the decision was probably, was the best decision of my life, but also one of the hardest. Yeah. And you mentioned sort of the conditions sort of sapped your strength and your soul. So to actually lift yourself out of that would have taken a whole lot of uh, motivation and then sort of self, self-esteem. So, um, fantastic for for getting yourself out of that and in terms of the actual process then obviously from going from eating nothing to slowly um managing to to eat more it's not going to take overnight is it so what was the process in in that respect did you sort of start with uh, one meal a day or or how did it go um so i was prescribed forceps which are um drinks that are full of nutrition and like calorific so I had to drink three of those a day and I had to have three meals and three snacks and the meals started off quite small I saw a dietitian so she helped me through it through it and then the, and then because with eating disorders you it it makes you scared of food mm. so like I was scared of anything that was like carbohydrates like chocolate anything like that sweet crisps and so slowly like she would try new things like every week into my diet or every few weeks it depended how I was doing but um yeah um, and I was weird every week um and when I was put on bed rest I gained we I gained weight every week like the right amount Mm. not too much not too not too little um until I was a healthy weight that's good um, which is quite a miracle, really, because yeah. at the beginning, I really didn't want to eat. Yeah. And where, where it goes to show, doesn't it, your willpower, because I can't imagine yeah. being in that situation, what you went through. Um, and very fortunate you were able um, to recover from the condition. And looking more towards the future then, um, one of the good things you have done is you've sort of accepted that it's been a big part of your life, and now you want to help other people um in that might be going through similar things by sort of um raising awareness of of mental health and 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 the stigma as well behind some of these conditions yeah um so i'm like i previously said i'm studying mental health nurse and the um i chose it because i wanted to help those who are in similar situations to what i've been in and just to shed a little light for them to show that you can overcome even your darkest demons. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's fantastic. And um, yeah. it's, it's inspirational, Sam, to, to have gone through something so, um, so deep, so traumatizing, um, to not only have recovered, but then to be put yourself in the position as to, um thinking okay now now i'm going to help other people go through this and and that's a massive credit to you and today um i can imagine talking about it can can be difficult sometimes so i really do thank you for sort of going going deep into that and um if it if it means one person listens in and and is going through this or knows somebody that's going through this and it, it sort of helps them then then all the merrier so really fantastic uh for your time today sam and i understand that you, you. you've got a song that you sort of resonate with your experience and uh i'll put play, play it at the end of the podcast um so can you just describe what this song means to you 
um, and linking it to your your history with the condition. Um, so it's called Scars Too Be- Beautiful. It's from Alessia Cara. And um, it, it kind of makes me realise how much I've overcome. Mm. Um, and it hit me hard when I first heard it. Um, the beginning starts of she just wants to be beautiful. She goes unnoticed. She knows no limits. She craves attention. She praises an image. She prays to be sculpted by the sculptor. And I interpret that interpreted this as someone who wants to be beautiful, who wants to be seen by the people as beautiful, yeah. and wants to be noticed. Um, this person sees an image of who he she is, who she thinks is perfect, and. Um, they want to be like this image. Right. It's hard because the image won't be perfect. There is no yeah. definition of perfect. Yeah. So, yeah. And in another part of this song, she sings, she has a dream. She has dreams to be an envy. So she's starving, you know, covered girls eat nothing. She says, beauty is pain and there's beauty in everything. What's a little bit of hunger? I could go a little while longer. She fades away. This reminds me of when I was starving myself uh-huh. because I wanted to be um, beautiful. My definition of beautiful was skinny, and I strove to be that. I went a bit too far, nearly killed myself, and it turned into self hatred. Right. I kept saying to myself, "Hunger, what's that? I can go a little while longer, and see how, how long I can go without food." And then I faded away. I didn't understand that beauty goes deeper within the surface. It's not all about what you look like. It's about who you are on the inside, and that beauty shines greater than the outer beauty. Wow. Fantastic. And um, I suppose it comes back to one of the things that we, we started on. It was the fact that you was looking at other people, looking at social media and comparing yourself yeah. to other people. And, and, and that's unfortunately quite dangerous, but it's the, the world we live in. And thankfully, um, despite going through some horrific trauma there, you was able to pull yourself out and now help spread the awareness of anorexia and other eating disorders. Well, um, we'll leave you then on Alessia Cara. Scars to you, beautiful, and thanks again, Sam. Thank you so much. She just wants to be beautiful, she goes unnoticed, she knows no limits, she craves attention, she praises an image, she prays to be sculpted by the sculptor. Oh, she don't see the light that's shining. Deeper than the eyes can find it Maybe we are made of blind souls She tries to cover up her pain And cut her woes away Cause cover girls don't cry After the face is made But there's a hope that's waiting for you Fades away, she don't see her 
see a little bit clearer The light, the sounds within 